Welcome to the Age of Organizational Effectiveness. This is the podcast that explores stories about organizations and their performance, not just for themselves, but for the common good. I'm your host, Charles Chandler. Today, we're at episode number 122, which is called Adaptive Action. In this episode, I'm joined by Glinda Oyang, who, along with her co-author, Royce Holiday, wrote the book Adaptive Action, Leveraging Uncertainty in Your Organization. Glenda is the founding director of the Human Systems Dynamics Institute. We discuss her book and her approach to organizational uncertainty. And I'm now joined by Glenda Oyang, who's the author of Adaptive Action. Good morning, Glenda. Actually, it's afternoon now, I guess. Yes, good afternoon. We talked uh, for a minute. I think you were you were in a meeting earlier today about uh, health systems. Yes, these days are facing complexity in lots of spaces, and public health is certainly one of them. Well, tell us how you got uh, interested in this complexity area uh, first. Uh, how did you become interested in human systems and their dynamics? Well, I've been interested in human systems as long as I remember, but I began to look at the complexity of them in the late 1980s. I was an entrepreneur. I was running a technical training and documentation company. And within six months, everything shifted. And suddenly everything that worked before stopped working. And I didn't know what would work in the future. And so I was at a major point of transformation as the industry was and my organization was. And so I took a holiday and picked up what I thought was going to be a really easy summer read. And that was Chaos, Making a New Science by James Glick. And I thought, great, it has nothing to do with computers, nothing to do with business, nothing to do with leadership. It'll be a great escape. But I read the first chapter and it told me something about my leadership and what I should do to get my company back on track. And then I read the second one and it told me something about managing a particular client relationship. And I read another one and it told me about how to work with a troublesome employee. And by the time I finished the book, I realized that there was a leadership practice embedded in the work that he was talking about. And so that started my journey of learning about complexity and chaos as that science has emerged, practicing it in my own applications and my own leadership, and then sharing it with others. So I've been around this world for a long time. Yeah, that's great. Well, you know, this podcast is about uh, organizational effectiveness. Um, and we, we've talked about uh, complex adaptive systems on one or two episodes in the past. And, you know, there's a lot of pattern behaviors in complex human systems, like a flock of birds and a school of fish. Uh, they obey simple rules and create patterns. Uh, tell us a little bit about human systems and how they might differ in those respects. Do they also obey simple patterns? There are a variety of opinions about that. We think, yes, they do. And the connection is establishing system-wide patterns. So when you walk into an organization or when you look at organization effectiveness, you're looking at patterns, patterns of performance, of quality, of turnaround time, of client satisfaction, of employee engagement, 
All of those are patterns that exist in the organizations that you're trying to establish. And what we believe is that those patterns emerge because everyone in the system is following either explicitly or implicitly a short list of simple rules, minimum specifications. And each of those rules has lots of freedom in it for each person to interpret. But because they're all using basically the same rules, it sets conditions for the system-wide patterns to emerge. Yeah, where do those rules come from? Is it uh, sort of embedded in our culture? Is it norms that uh, we all agree to in sort of unusual ways? Or where, where would yeah. you say those patterns are coming from? Like all emergent systems, we believe that conditions are set so that the patterns and the rules emerge. So those rules can come from many different places. Sometimes it's a leader who sets conditions for everyone in the organization to follow the same rules. Sometimes it is a discipline, like in an engineering organization. Engineers come with a certain set of practical rules that they follow. Sometimes it's a moral stance. Sometimes it's a community. Sometimes it's simply the kind of work that people do as they work together. And so they come from a variety of places. Sometimes they're not even conscious. Sometimes they're very conscious. So I can give you an example of one of our rules. And this was an intentional one. But it is search for what's true and useful. Search for what's true and useful. And we went in that direction because there are lots of people who look at complexity in organizational systems who find what's true about talking about the system, but they don't know what to do about it. And then there are others who intuitively work well in complexity, all the great leaders you've ever known, whether they were aware or not, they were setting conditions for organizational effectiveness. But what we wanted to do in HSD was to bring the two together the truth of the scientific background and grounding in the science, as well as the usefulness of practical application. And so we have a community of about 900 people around the world for whom that is one of their principles of behavior. And so there is a pattern that emerges from all of us. Yeah. So let's see if we can come up with kind of an everyday sense of what what human dynamics is all about. Um, when you talk about systems and complex adaptive systems, we're talking about agents in a sense that are, are free to do things on their own, like, like humans. Uh, humans in organizations uh, make up a system in a way. There's a social system. There's, there's all kinds of interactions going on, certainly. Uh, and some of them are embedded within units within the organization. There's a container of sorts uh, that surrounds them and they interact with other units. Um, so I know that in, in your analysis of, of organizations, you, you make a distinction between uh, you know, containers and differences and, and exchange between these sorts of things. So give us a little bit uh, more of a thumbnail sketch of of how these factors, these elements come into play. We'll start by saying, usually when we talk about change and organizational structures, we think about org charts, we think about plans that go from A to B to C to D in a linear way. We think about power, 
we think about straight line planning and strategy, that that's a mental model about how change happens in an organization. And it's great when it works, but what I had run into in the 80s and what lots of people are running into today is that that mental model of mechanism and command and control is no longer sufficient for the speed and the complexity of change we're having. And so what happens is that people who have the old mindset but living in the new world, they get stuck and they don't know what to do or they keep doing the same thing over and over even if it doesn't work. And so what I was looking for in complexity for my own practice and for what I teach others was how to get unstuck. But if I'm doing what I think is right and the world is not collaborating, cooperating with me, and I'm stuck, what are my options for action? And so from the complexity science, we found three options for action. One was to shift the boundary, the container. We could make it smaller and speed things up, or we could make it larger and slow things down. That was one option for something to do when you're stuck because the world is uncertain and it's not following the rules you think it should. So that's one thing. The second is what you're focusing on. Are you focusing on a lot of things at the same time and open for possibility? Or are you zooming in with your dashboard on a very few differences that make a difference? So that's another thing you could do to tune the system if you can't predict it. Those are the differences. And then the third are the exchanges. You can hook together what's unhooked or unhook things that are hooked together to build the connections for the system. And that we believe that those are the levers that you have in a complex system to shift the patterns, even when you can't predict or control. It's about getting stuck and then getting unstuck. And these are the ways you do it. Um, you know, you brought up command and control as being a paradigm that's, uh, you know, quite prevalent. Also, efficiency uh, is, is kind of goes along with that. There was an example, you know, a couple of years ago in Flint, Michigan, where um, the, uh, the city decided to switch the, uh, the water supply uh, to a less expensive and more efficient, uh, they thought, uh, source. Uh, but as that took place, uh, a, new, a new source of water was introduced to the system, which had lead pipes. And it, that, that new source was not uh, treated as well as the old uh, uh, source. And so some of the lead leached out. Um, so efficiency, although is a, an objective in, in some of our systems, you know, the, the complexity of the system comes in to bite us at some point. Um, so reflect a little bit on that example, if you would. Mm. They're called unintentional consequences. So if you think you understand enough about the system and you think you can predict what it's going to do, then you take an action and the system takes a left turn. That's called an unintentional consequence. And what we do, and ultimately this is what happened in Flint, is that there's a cycle of seeing the effects of a decision, thinking about what that means, and then taking a different action. 
We call it adaptive action. What happened? So what does it mean? Now what do we do? And that cycle was just in Flint too slow and too difficult. If they had realized, if they had been testing the water when they made that decision to become more efficient, they would have realized the what, that the lead levels were increasing long before they would affect children. The so what would have been a recognition of public health issues and questions, health equity issues, and they would have done something different. But because they were so certain, so arrogant, so unquestioning, they didn't even see the unintended consequences until it was way down the line and causing a great deal of difficulty. And so part of the efficiency, the effectiveness in a complex system is that you're constantly collecting data and processing it and understanding it, shifting action as you need to. And that kind of agility is what is one of the capacities that's so necessary, not just to build an effective organization, but to maintain it over time. So what am I going to do? What are the consequences? What are my options? Then what can I do? And that that cycle is the only way to reduce risk and control risk in a complex, unpredictable system. Yeah. One of the pioneers of uh, the early part of the 20th century was Frederick Winslow Taylor, um, who talked about gaining efficiency on the shop floor, mostly introducing high-speed steel, um, more efficient uh, machines. And this is a closed environment because, you know, you've got the uh, wall around the shop floor. Uh, it's all, you know, bricked in. And so the weather can't get there. It's, it's a controlled environment. This is the kind of environment that efficiency is possible. But when you get into an open environment, um, like the case in Flint uh, or and many other cases, you know, it's a totally different situation. Uh, do you look at closed and open systems in fundamentally different ways? We believe that they're on a continuum. So there are some complexity people who reject the whole idea of a closed system. We're much too practical to do that. What we say is that the closed state, the stable state, the predictable state, is just a state of the conditions and that they can be shifted, larger containers, more differences, looser connections, that can shift a very stable system into one that's less stable and all the way out to one that is chaotic. And so for us, the job of the leader the job of an effective organization is to shift back and forth along that continuum to meet the needs of the conditions of the, of the customers and the environment of supply chains. And so it's a kind of dance for the organization to harmonize and get in sync with whatever their resources and products are. Um, and sometimes that means getting very structured or parts of the organization being very structured and predictable and other parts being very open and flexible. In one of the companies that we're working with now, particularly in China, they have a great deal of conflict at this moment between logistics and manufacturing, which is incredibly efficient, 
and the research and development arm, which is exploratory, testing things, really sometimes more in a chaotic realm. And so both of those functions are essential to that organization. And yet they haven't found a way or we're helping them find a way for them to recognize the complementary nature of those two patterns. And that a real complex system needs both closed, predictable, and open and flexible. The question is not either or. We say it's which, to what extent, and when. Yeah. Well, even a closed system has to open its doors now and then and bring in inputs, and it has to push out some outputs. Um, and in the old days, uh, uh, you know, companies used to assume that the uh, you know, the goods would arrive on the, uh, the loading dock and then uh, engineers would decide uh, what to do with them, uh, how best to uh, organize the process. And then from the, uh, you know, the other loading dock that were taking the outputs, uh, those just magically disappeared, you know, uh, and, and everything was great. But as you say, uh, it's not quite as simple as you might think. So yeah. tell us... <laughs> Tell us a little bit more about uh, about human systems, and if you can give us an example uh, and and how you've approached it uh, using your methods. Well, I'll tell one example briefly because it speaks right back to the manufacturing closed system environment. So, one of our clients is a German retailer, and they are working with their supply chains to try to be sustainable in terms of the human systems and the environmental systems that generate the products that are sold through their retail chain. And on the one hand, you could think of those manufacturing sites across Southeast Asia, each one as a closed system. They get orders, they do production, they send out satisfying orders that you could think of it that way. And yet that particular retailer wants to think about that more as an open system in which the human beings who are working there bring themselves to their work and take their more than just money home with them. And so how can that system, which is on the one hand, a closed manufacturing system, how can it also feed into the open adaptive system of the employees and the staff and the communities that support them. And so they're working on ways to facilitate that process. So that's one of the ways that we're working with facilitators who both accommodate what man managers and owners need and find ways in those closed systems also to accommodate human needs and equity and safety. Um, another example is in healthcare. So as you know, the idea of the manufacturing world, you can imagine it's more closed than you can a healthcare delivery world or any kind of service. It's just by nature more open than a manufacturing one. So we've been doing work with several healthcare institutions and also with public health, especially since the COVID challenge began. And so in work that we're doing with a large health system in the UK, there were several things that they wanted to do with their human systems. So one was they had experienced COVID 
as a very productive, satisfying time. Of course, it was a challenge, but they felt very proud about the fact that they had been able to adapt and adjust when they were focused on COVID only, when they knew exactly what they needed to do, when everyone was coordinating and collaborating and learning together, working across systems, they got very efficient in working with that particular issue. So as the surge passed and they were going back to their regular way of being, they wanted to sustain, they wanted to maintain some of those habits of efficiency that they created in COVID. And so we worked with them to take interviews from leaders about what their experience had been before and during COVID and what they saw as a transformation of their leadership in post-COVID times. What were the things they wanted to keep and what were the things they wanted to lose? And so we helped analyze that data and identify really specific tensions and decision-making structures for those leaders who are moving through into and out of now the COVID stress and time. At the same time, there are in that system particular services that are um, overrun, like the emergency rooms or the um, surgery decks that had to postpone surgeries during COVID. And so they are just overrun and they're trying to decrease their wait times, decrease their wait lengths and working on bringing together the human systems and the physical systems to be able to optimize both to reduce response time. And so they have engineers and they have process experts to work on the facilities and resources. And we help them optimize the human systems to work in tandem with those. Well, you know, organizational effectiveness, um, theory and practice is sort of contested space. Um, and there's a number of ideas about what is an effective organization, particularly things like if you achieve your objectives, you know, you're effective. Um, or if you're efficient and internally things are running smoothly, uh, that's another way to look at it. But in your complex systems that as you look at uh, human systems and organizations in particular, what do you look for to determine whether it's performing well? We call it fit for function. And we really moved into this understanding and some research that we did with the National Research Center in Finland. They had asked the question, what is a sustainable organization? And for them, at that point, sustainability was the way they were thinking about effectiveness. And so there were interviews and data collected from six different companies. One was a two-person construction company that had been around for 25 years. One was an education firm that was transitioning into more vocational training. And the largest one was their largest nuclear power plant. So we had six organizations, each one in a different size and phase and business of maturity and perspective and need complexity. And the question was, how could we use that data to define what a most sustainable, effective organization was? We had very a good time and a lot of difficulty 
finding something that was the same across those boards. Because what was effective in one was quite different in another. One was a fast-paced electronic manufacturing company that shifted every day in every way. And the nuclear power plant was very stable and structured. And the guys in the construction company knew their customers, had long-term relationships, were really uh, personable in the work that they did. And so we were looking for some kind of an understanding about resilience or effectiveness that would cover this whole range of things. They were all very successful. That's why they were chosen. And what we realized was that each one was able to see and understand its environment in really subtle and important ways. They were able to understand and manage their internal functioning in ways that were most resource effective and that they connected those two that they could adjust and adapt their internal functioning to match their, their external environments. And so that those three characteristics, seeing and understanding the environment, having a handle on your internal processes and the resources required for those. And the third and probably the most important one is the ability to stay, keep the two connected in a kind of adaptive way. So that was the definition that we came to about sustainability and effectiveness there. And we found it very useful at multiple scales for individuals who are trying to work effectively, for teams need to have the same external, internal, and cooperative perspectives. Organizations, I think we're seeing in these days industries that are running into the same kind of challenge. Take the energy industry in these days of climate change and what they're needing to do to optimize their position and their histories. So I don't know how that fits. I'm not a student of organization effectiveness, so I'm not sure how that fits with the received theory and practice there. How does it, Charles? There are just so many uh, viewpoints on organizational effectiveness, and it's and it's such a contested space. Uh, we're trying to sort that out. We're we're open to uh, new views. Certainly, um, I followed your work for some time now, and I'm I'm happy to talk to you today. We're coming to the end of our time together, though. What have we not talked about that you'd like to leave us with? Hmm. So one of the things that has been my greatest lesson over these 30 years is how important humility is and inquiry is in times of change. That our worst enemy is assumed certainty. Our greatest block are the things that we think are true or know to be true that are not. And so as we're moving into this time of rapid change, the ability to hold assumptions, but hold them lightly, plan for the future, but plan lightly, respect others and stand in inquiry so that the questions that we ask are really the transforming agents that we have to work with. And so I appreciate the questions that you've brought and the questions that you bring through your podcast. So thank you for this chance to share human systems dynamics with you and your team. It's been a delight. Well, thanks, Glenda, for being on the show. It's been great having you. Thank you. It's nice to meet you. Take care. And that's about it for this episode. 
Join us again next time when we'll explore more stories about organizations and their performance, not just for themselves, but for the common good as well. In the meantime, you can explore all of our episodes on our website, ageofoe.com. I'm your host, Charles Chandler, saying so long for now.